So hi, everybody. It's Todd. I've been kicking this idea around for a while. So I, I want to play with this idea for a couple reasons. I should probably tell you because I want to run an experiment to see if I can uh, create clickbait, <laughs> which is goofy. So it meant that I had to sort of create, get creative, uh, create something different for the podcast. So that's kind of what you're going to experience for the next uh, uh, half hour or so, probably a little less, actually. Uh, you're going to, it's clickbait in the making, but, but I think you'll like it. Hold on. See, see what you think. Here's the podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am the host of this ride. My name is Todrick Von Conklin. That's really not my name. That's my rich guy name. That's the name I use when I'm a rich guy. When I'm a construction worker, my name is Guy Manley, right? When I'm at a restaurant, my name is uh, Pierre Menu. So uh, you can call me by any of those three names if you want to. So today's podcast is really interesting. I want to tell you, in my opinion, and the science behind this is really solid because I just made these up based upon correlated data in my life experience. So find the citation for this. I dare you. I double dog dare you. But I've come up with the top 10 reasons why I think um, leaders have a difficult time letting go of the old view of managing high reliability and performance. And so I've created this top 10 list that I think is pretty meaningful. We'll, we'll see how it works. And I want to talk you through each one of these 10 top items. That is the purpose of today's podcast. Now, the podcast itself is a great social experiment. It's a micro experiment, if you will, on um, how we draw listeners to the information that we talk about. Now, I don't have any problem with listeners. I have a ton of people that listen. It's amazing to me. It's uh, a, a couple thousand downloads a day, which is remarkable. I mean, just remarkable. And I try to get really interesting people on. And as more people listen, it's easier to get people on. And so it's it's a really nice cycle. And it's been, a, you know, it's totally fun. It's a really fun ride. And you guys are a huge part of it. And so that's been great. And we've had quite a nice little relationship in your car on the way to work or while you're walking the dog or while you're jogging. Oh, that hurts my heart to think that you jog with me in your head. Oh. But nonetheless... I think one of the interesting things is, is this idea of a top 10 list. Now, it could be the top 12. It could have been the top six. It could have been the top three. And I'm not sure they're top, but I came up with 10 things, and I sort of put them in an order that I think makes the most sense. At least, let's let's say it this way. I saved what I think is the most interesting one for the last. And I started with the one that I thought was very important, but not terribly interesting. And so that's how we'll go through this top 10. So if you're ready, ladies and gentlemen, here are the top 10 reasons why leaders hesitate around change, organizational change, especially around things like safety and reliability, the human performance, the stuff we work on. Number 10, it's easier to not change. So the thing about not changing is that not changing is really, really sexy. Because if I don't change, I don't have to do anything. And if I don't have to do anything, I promise you that's easier. But also there's this little phenomenon in physics called inertia. And once things are sort of set in place and we become comfortable, and this is the way we think the world happens, then 
change becomes difficult. It's easier to stay the same than it is to do something different. Because if I have to do something different, it means I have to go out there and actually do something different. And doing something different, well, that's not nearly as fun as doing the same things over and over again. So the 10th reason why leaders are recalcitrant, why they're, why they're oftentimes not very excited about change when you present it to them, is quite honestly, it's just easier to stay the same. It's easier to not change. That's 10. Nine. This is a big one. It's not my problem. It's my worker's problem. Anytime I hear that, the hair on the back of my neck, I still have hair there, don't worry. The hair on the back of my neck stands up. Because when I see that separation of problem, when I see leadership say, this isn't my problem, this is their problem, then that really indicates to me almost immediately that we have an environment in which the leadership sees themselves separate and often above of the people who actually do the work. Often this can be manifested in victim speech. They need to be better. They should try harder. I don't know what more I can do for them, those kind of things. When you hear that separation, when leadership pulls its way out of belonging to the organization, then you know you're going to have resistance to change and you know you have trouble. If you hear a leader say, it's not my problem, then it's their problem. And your job is to help them understand that the organization is made up of them and that change happens because of them and that they are a part of every success that happens and a part of every failure that happens. And somehow, some way, usually in quite meaningful ways, they've had influence, some kind of effect, some kind of power over the organization and its outcomes. Ask them this. When you succeed, are those your successes? And then say, because when you fail, therefore those must also be your failures. So the ninth reason why leaders are loath to make a difference is because they don't see the problem as theirs. They see the problem as the worker. It's the workers that need to change. I'll continue to do my same things because what I've done has gotten me this far and I'm really good at it, I'll get the workers to change around me. That's number nine. Number eight, the eighth reason why people are less than likely to change is they have a strong worldview that the world should be linear and predictable just like they told them it would be in engineering school. They want the world to be a great experiment in physics. They want Sir Isaac Newton's notions to be true all the time, in all cases, for all people. And the crazy thing about the laws of physics is physics are a really great way to describe the physical world. But workers don't obey the laws of physics. And organizations aren't mechanical systems. So as much as I want an organization to be linear and predictable, if you do this, this will happen, cause, effect. The unfortunate thing is we don't live in a world where our organization will ever be linear and predictable. What you manage is complexity. And complexity is never managed in fixed state. And complexity is nonlinear by definition. 
Complexity is many pieces tightly coupled. And the crazy thing about that tight coupling is that it kind of throws predictability out the window. I know you want the world to be linear, and I know you want the world to be predictable. I I know that. I know that if I cut you in half, I would see that as a core ingredient in your components. The sad thing is we didn't give you a world that's linear, and we didn't give you a world that's predictable. That's number eight. Number seven. This is a big one. Get ready. Changing the organization, changing a process or a procedure, changing the system is a lot of work. It's way easier to say the person's bad and the process is good than it is to say the person is human and the process is insufficient. When you push on an organization and you help them understand that their system is broken, what you've done now is you've dramatically multiplied the amount of work the organization has to do to fix the problem. It's not that they won't do it or shouldn't do it or can't do it or won't do it. It's that when they thought it was the worker's fault, they didn't have to have this conversation about changing the system, about looking at the process, about restriping the warehouse, about changing the way we stack pallets. Systems change is a lot of work, and we have to help organizations understand that just because it's a lot of work, doesn't mean it's not the right answer. And in fact, thinking it's the worker is oftentimes not a function of bad leaders blaming individuals. It's actually a function of very busy leaders, very tightly, tightly organized, and very, very over-resourced leaders pushing change to the level that would be easiest to manage. The seventh On our top 10 list, the seventh reason of why managers don't change is that systems change is a lot of work. The six, number six, we need something bad. We need a weak part or a flawed part or a bad person that can be fixed. We need something that tells us it's broken so that we can fix that something and understand why failure happened. This whole idea of why failure happens, that's really difficult. And Nietzsche, I don't know if you remember him, but Nietzsche said this notion of existentialism, it's, it's an empty space that we want to fill up with meaning. When we find that weak part of the system, that is so rewarding, that is so confirming to us, Because it tells us, aha, our world is okay, this one thing was bad. Our world is okay, this person was bad. Our world was okay, this process is bad. We need an enemy. We need a a weak part or a flawed part, a weak person or a flawed person. Because when we have that, suddenly our world makes more sense. That's number six. That's a little bit esoteric six. But it's a really important one. And I want to sort of challenge you to think about these as we progress through because we're getting into the big five here. And think about how many of these you've seen before. Number five, the fifth top ten reason why leaders really push back against change. And it's a phenomenon that comes out of economics. And the word is sunk cost. Sunk cost syndrome. Sunk cost bias. 
I've got so much money in the old way we do this that I can't give up the old way because if I do, all the money, time, energy, effort, and resources I spent are wasted. They just go away. You see sunk cost in everything. I mean everything. People hold on to cars way longer than they should. They hold on to houses way long. Boats. <laughs> they hold on to boats way longer than they should because they have so much invested in the, the system so far that the thought of getting a new system is colored by the wasted money they believe they wasted on the old system. And so because of sunk cost, people hold on to old ideas old processes, old systems, old philosophies, way longer than they should. Because you know and I know, it's easy to talk about this now, letting go of it is oftentimes the very cheapest thing you can do. If you have a crappy car that you're barely keeping alive and you're spending six or $7,000 a year keeping it running, letting go of it is probably actually going to be cheaper. But you have to jump over that one last hurdle, and that hurdle is sunk cost. That's the fifth top 10 reason why leaders don't want to change. Number four, accountability is emotionally satisfying. You know how earlier we talked about the fact that there's this empty place we want to fill. There's this uh, a, a weak part of a system that we need to fix. This is kind of tied in a way to that, but I used a very, very important word, accountability. Accountability is not the same word as discipline. And accountability really is almost always better used in a forward-looking way than it is in a backwards-looking way. If you hold someone accountable, what you're really doing is holding them culpable. If you create accountability for a system to be stable, then what you really have is a relationship between you and the other person so you can check in along the way to make sure that what you want to have happen is happening in your organization. That's accountability. But the crazy thing about this word accountability is that what it really is is emotionally satisfying. By holding someone to account, we have punished the guilty. We have, we have made the guilty pay. And by making the guilty pay, the belief is, is that the world is once again just or fair or honorable. But in fact, that's never true. And we know that's not true. But that's the double-edged sword of accountability, is that we tie it in with justice, we tie it in with courts of law, we tie it in with the way we meet out sentencing for workers. And the crazy thing about that is, I generally find that organizations are very good at making things, but very bad at justice. Whereas, oddly enough, courts are actually quite good at justice, but they suck at making things. And so our organizations are really not set up to sort of have a reasonable person clause or mens reis or, or a belief that somehow if we work hard and we try really hard, we can create justice. Our organizations are really good at making things. But accountability, accountability is a tiger because accountability really creates that emotional satisfaction that justice has been served. And it almost never has. Think about that one. Number three, the idea that bad things can just happen is really, really scary to leaders. 
Want me to repeat that one? The idea that as hard as you try and as much money as you spend and as much as you care that bad things can still just happen, that's really scary. And it's scary in the future tense. So basically there are three forms of time that everybody kind of deals with all the time. There's the past, and the past, I hate to tell you, is over. You can't change it, and it's not coming back. There's the future, and I hate to tell you this, but the future hasn't happened yet, and so you can't change it because it hasn't happened yet. You can maybe influence it, but ultimately the future is in the future. The future is not now. The future hasn't happened. And then there's now. And ultimately, realistically, and I guess profoundly, the only one of those times you actually live in is now. And so if you spend a lot of time worried about the past, well, that seems stupid. And if you spend a lot of time worrying about the future, that kind of seems stupid. What you ought to do is build a system where you're the very best you can be in the now. Now, Ellen Langer calls that mindfulness. And you hear people talk about mindfulness. What mindfulness does is help us build a system that understands that the world is not a fair place and that bad things sometimes just happen in spite of the best desires and the best prepared plans bad things can still happen. And the idea that systems can just fail, well, that's remarkable. That's horrible. And what it really is operationally is frightening. We have to help leaders understand that when a bad thing fails, it happened. You can't change it. It already happened. And the very best thing we could do in the now is become mindful is to learn as much as we possibly can about why that bad thing failed. That is the third most popular reason why leaders won't change. Number two, the mistaken belief that processes, procedures, and organizations are controlled by management. This one's big because I will tell you, you can be the best leader in the entire world, the best leader. Like when I look at you, I tear up. That's how good of a leader you are. And I promise you this, you never control your processes because you don't do your processes. The only people that control your processes are the people who actually do the processes. And the difference between work as they imagine it, that's the black line. That's what leaders manage. And work as it actually happens, that's the blue line, that's reality, that's how work takes place in an adaptive nature in a complex world. Well, that difference is not knowable to leadership. It just isn't. And what's amazing is that I think leaders truly believe that they manage processes, but they don't. No, only workers manage processes. What leaders do is create an environment where workers can go into the field and actually succeed. Where workers can go into the field and manage real-time variability, because that's what they do all the time, 
in a way that allows them to be successful. That is what leaders manage. Unfortunately, this mistaken belief that the process is controlled by leadership, by management, is just that. It's a mistaken belief. The very best a manager can do is create an environment that's got enough latitude in it so that when variability happens, the system has the ability to manage that variability. There's margin of maneuverability. Thank you, David Woods. There's room to grow. As Tammy Jo Schultz said, that's the pilot of the Southwest plane that the window got knocked out. As long as you have altitude and an idea, you'll survive a midair mishap. What workers do is manage the variability. What leaders do is give them altitude. That's important. And the number one reason of the top 10 reasons why leaders won't change, are you ready for it? The number one reason, blame reduces uncertainty. Blame makes mistakes choices. Blame tells us that the world is in fact knowable, manageable, linear, and predictable. Unfortunately, this bad worker, let's blame him or her, screwed up the linearity and the predictability. Blame is really powerful. It's really, really powerful. And the reason blame is really powerful is because uncertainty is so unacceptable. Uncertainty is scary. Uncertainty in our world seems like a, a luxury we can't afford. And if we can't afford uncertainty, then the only way we can manage uncertainty is to look back in time and affix blame. Blame reduces uncertainty. That's the top 10. Number 10, it's easier to not change. It's easier to stay the same. Number nine, it's not my problem. It's the workers. Number eight, the world should be linear and predictable, just like they told me it would be. Number seven, systems change is a lot of work. Number six, we need a weak or flawed part of a system. We need a bad person, a, a, a bad apple, a bad actor that can be fixed in lieu of a broken process, organization, or system. Number five, sunk costs make us hold on to old ideas way longer than we should. Number four, accountability is unfortunately emotionally satisfying, and it shouldn't be. Accountability should be forward-looking and move us ahead. Number three, the idea that bad things can just happen is really, really scary. And the higher up you get in the organization, the more scary that becomes. Number two, the mistaken belief that processes are controlled by managers. Managers never, ever, ever, they may own the process, but they don't control it. It's controlled by the people who actually make the process work. And the final top 10 reason, number one, why leaders have a difficult time moving on, changing philosophies, adapting new safety, is because blame reduces uncertainty. Those are the top 10. I hope you enjoyed those. Think about them. They're thoughtful. I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. They're thoughtful. We can dig into these more if you like them. We could talk a bunch more about them. I just kind of made these up. 
But I made them up based upon talking to a lot of people for a lot of years around this idea of change. Because remember, the lesson the universe continuously teaches me, every year I learn it, is the most important group in our organization to facilitate change are leaders. And unfortunately, the hardest people to get time with in our organization are those same leaders. And so what happens is we, we truncate their information so they have very little time to think about this new way of thinking, and we immediately toss them into the fire after 30 minutes sheep dipping into this new view. It never works. The lesson the universe teaches me all the time is if you give the employees an hour training, you better give leaders too. That's the podcast for today. I hope you had fun. It's a pretty good one, I think. I like this idea. We'll see if it works. It's a great experiment. Thanks for being a part of it. Tell your friends if it's your first time. This is a pretty interesting one to listen to, I would suggest. But you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. Subscribe. Uh, write a nice review. Bad reviews you can write later um, after I'm gone. That would be fine. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>